some of you guys don't know, back in the day, I got my start in a little hip-hop group. <laughs> so I, li I like a little bass in my music sometimes. Is that all right? <laughs> all right, how are you guys doing? Um, so if you've been around, we've been on this journey through Ephesians, and we're taking a little side journey right now. Um, we're getting ready to go into men's retreat in three weeks, and, and um, I, I actually, what this was, uh, how this idea popped into my head is I saw, I have a relationship with a lot of pastors in our district. I'm working in the district office, and, and uh, so I love to follow their journey and what they're um, uh, preaching and teaching on and what they're uh, doing in ministry, and, and I saw this group of guys start getting together and do this thing that they were calling Fight Club. And I loved the idea and I loved uh, what I saw happening. And I started looking into it a little bit further and I found out it was inspired by one of my uh, favorite uh, speakers of all time, Mr. Louis Giglio over in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And so um, I, I just uh, felt Holy Spirit saying, let's go there. And so we're taking a little side journey. And, um, and so this is where we're at. This morning, we're gonna turn our attention to the men of the house. And, and ladies, we would probably appreciate it if you wouldn't amen too loud. <laughs> and we would appreciate it if you wouldn't elbow any men sitting next to you at, at any point in the next few weeks of the series. Are we all right with that? We've already, we're already getting elbows, you're not listening. <laughs> so if you do, at least wait till the gathering is over to say I told you so, okay? <laughs> because we're gonna take a little space as guys to think about who God wants us to be. And interestingly, you can sum up the win for a man's life in six words. We're, we're gonna come back to that in a few minutes. Now, I am admittedly not an athlete, um, and, and, but I would say, I, I will say this, and, and is Deanna in the room? I, I, I will say this, I was the fastest guy in like junior high and like early high school. It was a small private school, but, but I was the fastest guy. And, and so, you know, in, in those grades, and so we're picking gyms, gym, uh, teams in gym class. You know, I would be like in the top three, top four to be picked for teams, at least if nothing else for my speed. And I was, and part of it is, you know, I've got long legs, right? And so I was, I was generally there and I, I never tested my speed out after I got to high school and, and uh, moved to Pierre and that was a bigger school. But there's no, really no telling, right? I could have been the fastest there too, <laughs> we'll never know. But I, I, I might have been, but I highly doubt it. And here's why. I highly doubt it because when you start getting to high school level, that's when students start conditioning, right? You start working out, you start working at it, right? Does that just show up? you start putting some time and sewing into it. The guys, the guys are in the grind. So our little football team in Bayfield, uh, Colorado, took home state uh, the last couple years and our little community of 1800 was so proud, let me tell you. So they, they, I mean, they, we'd have the streets lined up, it was purple and gold. And, and so those guys were in the grind. They trained hard from the moment the season ended right up until the time that they were holding that trophy, right? And, and, and they travel miles to play those games and they sacrifice time at home in the evenings with family and time for everything and they play hurt and, and they play when they don't feel good and they play when things aren't going well with their lives. They show up a lot of times when they just feel like walking away, right? And so there's a cost involved in that win and there's a cost involved in every win. And I don't know what the win in your life is, 
but I think I know what God wants to win in your life to be. And it can be summed up in six words. This is the first thing on your notes, that blank line at the top. We can all wrap our lives around these six words today. The words are these, a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. And, and I, and I want to invite you as a man, whether you're 12 years old and in the house today or whether you're 82 years old and in the room today, I want to invite you on a journey to become a man after God's own heart. And I love that this statement is summed up in a person, you know, that we're going to look at today. We're not going to talk about in abstract terms, but we can see this in the life of man and a guy named David. And so this is, this is what was said about him in Acts 13. It comes out this way. And God said about him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. So, all the other second, third, and fourth layer stuff, you know, I want to be a good husband. I, I want to be a good father. I want to be an honorable person. I want to be a fair businessman. I want to leave a legacy. I want, to, I want to lift up other people. All of those things are important. But they all come with the win of those six words, becoming a man after God's own heart. And because to seek, seek God's heart, to fight after God's heart, to chase after God's heart, and to become a man after God's own heart, means you're going to excel in other areas of your life and all the other wins that we want in our life as well. And so I love this idea, a man after God's own heart, because this is somewhat of a paradox in our world. To put man and heart in the same phrase could be a little complicated, right? Because heart implies feeling. It implies emotion. And man implies less feeling, <laughs> less emotion. And when you say man and heart in the same phrase, then you're understanding that God really has maybe a different picture for you than the one that the culture of your father or your grandfather's passed down to you. It's okay to have a heart and still be a man. And so you can, you can still be a man and still have a heart in the economy of God. You can be tough on the outside and tough mentally and, and tough about the things that you set your hands to and still have an emotional IQ and still feel things. And so you can be sensitive to the things that are going on around you and still shed a tear every now and then because come on. I mean, there, there's plenty to cry about on planet Earth. I mean, there's, there's all the us versus them stuff that we talked about last week, right? For starters. And, and so this is the picture, I think, that God is giving to you and to me. So I want to look at David today, and I want to look at his life and what's said about him to, to jump in. So you remember when David was chosen to be king to follow Saul in Israel. You remember that? The prophet went to this house. They called for the sons. They brought all the sons out and started with the oldest and they kind of went down the pecking order. And there were these big strapping, you know, good looking burly guys. The prophet goes down the line. No, 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 no. There must be someone else here. And they said, well, the youngest one of all of us, but you certainly, you know, aren't coming here today for the youngest of all the brothers. David's out with the sheep. We'll go get him. He's, he's kind of an afterthought, right? And this is the description of David found in 1 Samuel 16, verse 18. I love this guy, David. And I think that he is someone that every man in the house today can relate to. And I'll, we'll get to why. That's a big ask because we've, we've got a lot of different kinds of men in the house today, right? But David is the kind of guy that everybody can relate to on some level. So this is what was said about him in, in 1 Samuel 16. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem 
who knows how to play the lyre. He knows how to play an instrument. He's a musician. That's where all the ladies go. That's what I'm looking for, right, Brett? <laughs> he's, a, he's a brave man and a warrior. And now they're going, okay, that sounds interesting. He speaks well. And they're, okay, yes, hello, he speaks, period. <laughs> a lot of the ladies are in their house. I'll just take a guy that talks, you know? <laughs> Deanna says to me, we're in the middle of some deep conversation, and, and I say conversation lightly, but he, he says, you know, then she'll say, are you going to say something? You know, am I talking to myself here? Guys, you ever get that? <laughs> part, of my, part of my job and calling is to get up and, and, and do this when I'm on stage, and I have to remind myself when I get off the stage sometimes that I can keep on using my words. <laughs> so please use the words. I've seen you use the words. You can even be good at using your words sometimes. Please use your words. <laughs> use them with me. It says he speaks well. And look at this. He's a fine looking man. <laughs> it's scriptural. So most of the hands are up at this point. He's a musician. He's brave. He's a warrior. So this guy is playing songs to Jesus before he goes to CrossFit. <laughs> he is audibly gifted and he looks good. And if that's not enough, here comes the kicker, ladies. This is what you're praying for, right? It says the Lord is with him. And it just makes me wanna say, way to go, David. Congratulations. <laughs> you know, I'm so happy for you. Uh, he, was a, he was a rancher, he was a sheep herder. So he knows that world. He was a leader. He became a king of a nation. So he's, he's uber intelligent. You read, when you read in uh, Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, you can see how his mind works. He was brave and he was bold. We know that when he was only 14, when he was only 14, he already killed a lion and killed a bear with his bare hands. He's playing the harp. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's protecting his father's flock. We know that he was a crack shot with a slingshot. The weapon of his choice for the day for protecting his flock. And he was great at that. He was a musician. He was a poet. And he was an artist. We know that he was good looking. He had a high value for God's glory. He was the one who left Jerusalem to go and recover the ark and bring it back into the city of God because he cared about the glory of God. So he was a fighter and a warrior. We've already touched on this, but hello. Second Samuel, verse eight, is a chapter in scripture that is completely dedicated. The whole chapter, one whole chapter of the living eternal word of God is dedicated to the military victories of David. And that's it. It's, it's a whole chapter top to bottom. He wiped out these people and he took on that army and defeated this foe and he was mighty in this battle. The entire chapter is just a recap of the victories of God or, or David. And so, yes, he wrote the Psalms, a lot of them. Yes, he could play an instrument. Yes, he was musically inclined. He was an artist, so we know that he had that, that maybe that sensitive side and, and those, those sensitive genes and that sort of artistic bent to him. But we also know that he was a mighty man. In fact, it describes in scripture that David had the 30 who were with him. You remember this? They were exceptional fighters. And out of the 30, there were the three, and he hung around with guys like this. Ishmael the Tachmanite, have you heard of this guy? Ishmael, he killed in one battle, this guy, 800 people. You're like, man, I don't want to come to church and hear about people killing people. Well, hello, sometimes it happens that people fight against each other. We didn't start the war, but there are enemies of the people of God. And Ishmael the Tachmanite, he killed 800 people in this one battle. Of the 30, Joshua, 
killed 300 people with a spear. And then there's Benaiah. He's the one who went down into the pit with the lion on the snowy day and he killed it. And he, and he also killed with a club a seven and a half foot giant. He got the giant's spear and he killed him with it. So some of you guys are like, I think I'm going to go and start reading the Old Testament again. That's even better than watching the MMA and UCF. But these guys fought for what they believed was with the kingdom of God. These were David's men. These were the guys that he hang out. So don't think of him as some sort of, of pushover. He's a fierce fighter, right? And we also know about him from the text. He's a good dancer. So that's like an extra bonus. He, uh, we actually don't know he's a good dancer. <laughs> but we know that when the Ark of the Covenant came back into the city, he stripped down to his undergarment, right? And he danced before the Lord with all of his might. And so much so that his wife um, from the window said, oh, wasn't the king dignified today? And he's like, hey, babe, check it out. I'll become way more undignified <laughs> because this God and his glory is back in the city. And the glory of God is with the people of God. And he was celebrating that. And he says, I'll dance another time. You know, strike up the band. And he says, you look out because I'm in love with this God and I'm in love with his glory. That's David. And so we also know about him, though he's a rancher, he's a leader, he was brave and bold, he was a crack shot, he was a musician and a poet, and he looks good, and he has a high value for God's glory. And he was a warrior, and he was a fighter. He was a dancer. But we also know that he was easily distracted by temptation. And that's where all the guys in the room go, mm-hmm, I understand that. Right? He could put himself in a position, even given all of that, to be tempted and make decisions that ultimately would have a massively detrimental impact on his life. But there's a couple things that David teaches us today that I want to focus around. And the first one is this. We've, we've already touched on it. It's that you can be a man's man and still have your life summed up. You can have your life summed up as being a man after God's own heart. The summation of your life being said about you. God saying it about you, a man after God's own heart. So I, I don't want anybody to get nervous today. I don't want any man in the house to you know, think, oh man, I don't know where this is going. You know, before we know it, we're all gonna be in guitar classes and you know, we're gonna be trying to write music and get emotional about things and I just don't know if I can handle that. That's, that's not it, that's not in the cards. You know, it's possible that you can be the strongest guy on the team the sharpest guy in the office, that you can be the best at closing the deal, you know, but you could still have said about your life, here's the win for him. He was a man after God's own heart. And David shows us that it's possible to be a man's man and to still have your life summed up like that. You guys ever hear a writer named A.W. Tozer? A.W. Tozer was a, was a bright person. He was a very thoughtful person, an intelligent person. And also he had a, a, a sincere passion for God. It was said about A.W. that once he went into the office as a pastor and he'd gone into the office early in the morning and he closed his door, told the secretary, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have some, some time today, you know, just leave me until I'm done. So he'd gotten down on his face in his office as he tended to do. And he spent some time with the Lord and he was planning on spending a few moments in prayer before the commitments of the day started, before his appointments started showing up. So the day went on and he doesn't know it, but people are now stacking up in the outer office. All of his appointments are showing up and his assistant's not sure what to do. 
the nine o'clock appointment came in, the 9.30 person came in, then the 10.30 person came in, and eventually, you know, the nine, nine o'clock person left and the 11 o'clock person showed up. And the assistant's like, I don't know, I don't know, I, you know, this is what he told me. And so finally, it's time for her to go home to her family at the end of the day, and she just politely knocks on the door, and the door cracks open, and she says, Dr. Tozer, I, I, I don't want to bother you, but I'm just going to go ahead and slip out now. It's, it's time for me to go. And he looks up and he says, what time is it? What time is it that, yeah, that's maybe not a good way to, to run a business, but it wouldn't be bad if that happened once in a while, right? A man after God's own heart, a man who gets on his knees in prayer and, and, and 10 minutes turns into five hours because he doesn't know the difference because being with God is amazing. And, and, and I think, you know, I wanna be that guy. If you, if you visit his grave, he was buried in Akron, uh, Ohio, and on his headstone, it, it simply says, A.W. Tozer, a man of God. You can go through looking at the cemetery stone, it's, you know, it's the normal, a beloved husband and father, you know, this or that, or just the name and the dates, but how amazing, you know, to live a life that everybody just knows what's going on. You know, for the tombstone, there's no family discussion, there's no drama at the cemetery, there's no real give and take with the funeral directors, you know, it's just obvious, you know, just put the name of the man and, and, and God in the six words, a man after God's own heart. Because David was strong, he was mighty, he was bold, he was brave. He was the one that wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, your comfort me. And he was also the man that wrote, I love you, O Lord, my strength. You know, I love a man who can say, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Not just, you know, a man who says, well, you know, I believe, absolutely, I, I believe. But a man who could say, I love you. You're my strength. And David was a man, but he was a man after God's own heart. So the second thing I want us to see is that David taught us that you can be a skilled fighter, but you have to know when to fight. And I'll give you that last part of that sentence in a bit. But for, for now, ladies, you might not understand this as much unless you have some boys when I say know how to fight. Men, I think maybe we'll get this. But, you know, there's, I, if you wonder why the men have to fight, it's because we're men. <laughs> I, I, I started with four girls and now I have boys. So this picture is, is you know, recent and clear in my life. You know, we're fighters. We, we kind of grow up as, as boys having that innate sense of fight, don't we? And, and in a sense, so you, we, for you guys who grew up with brothers in your house, anybody grew up with brothers? Okay. Um, did you not beat the daylights out of your brothers? <laughs> Some of you might even still have issues even now with your siblings, even at this stage of life because of how badly you hurt and tormented them when they were little. And if you didn't have brothers, maybe you, know, you had to fight with the sister. And I'm telling you, there's been an instant change in my house from four girls to the three boys now that, you know, the last three, uh, the boys that we have, they want to wrestle and they want to fight. It's a daily occurrence. It's a, it's a, I have to tell them to stop or else somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> and the, you know, they'll climb things and they'll jump off of things and then they will wrestle. 
and they'll wrestle and fight with me if I get on the floor. And that's like the greatest of all, because when you're little, you know, you can run with everything you have dead full down the hallway and fly body tackle and bounce right off of that, right? And, and, and then he laughs and then he pins you down on the floor and then he falls on you and then he tickles you endlessly until you cry uncle and you can't take it anymore. But that moment when you're now getting to the age of about nine or 10 or 11 years old and you're like, I think I could take him. <laughs> and then your dad goes, yeah, I don't think you could take me. You know, you can't take me and it gets a little heated like that. You know, and then eventually he says, okay, I give up. You're bigger, you're stronger than me. You're faster than me. But listen, all the dads in the room know that they could still take their sons out <laughs> if they had to. It's something that's just in our DNA. We, we grow up fighting our brothers. We want to fight with our dad. We want to wrestle with our dad. This is, this is what we want to do the most in life, by the way. <laughs> and then we take it out in the yard and we take it out in the back lot. And then we, we want to fight in the baseball game and fight in the football game. And sometimes we just fight each other for the sake of fighting each other because it's in our nature. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I never fought my dad. I never wrestled with my dad and I never fought in the backyard. Well, uh, you know, a lot of us have got that in us. And, and, and then it gets organized. And then, you know, we get pads on. And then there's the coach. And then there's rules, but we're still fighting. And then we get into the business world and it's in the boardroom, isn't it? but we're still fighting in the boardroom. And then there's that deal that we're trying to close and we're looking you know, professional on the outside, but on the inside, you better believe we wanna win. <laughs> so we've got that in us. But here's the thing that David's gonna teach us today too. This is the last part of that. You've gotta know when to fight and you gotta know what to fight for. You've gotta know when to fight and what to fight for. Because if you don't, you could spend your whole life fighting but you might end up fighting for the wrong things at the end of the day. The scripture says it this way, you can gain the whole world and what? Lose your soul. So you can fight to the, the top of every mountain that a man wants to go up and still at the end of the day have no win with your life because we were created for more than that. So I love 1 Samuel 24, that's where we're going. A lot of David's life is in um, Samuel. and 1 Samuel 24, it's, it's a pretty interesting text. If you haven't read it before, it's a little shocking in its descriptive nature, but just hold on for a minute. It's a man's talk today. So <laughs> ladies, I'm so sorry, but this has to make it into the talk at some point. <laughs> and so after Saul, who is jealous of this new King David, Saul, who is tormented mentally, we know, he was probably paranoid to the nth degree, was trying to eliminate his adversaries and he sees David as a threat to his reputation and to his rule and to his, to his reign. So Saul is after David and David's on the run and there's this long period in his life where this is the case for David. And it says in verse one, 1 Samuel 24, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now that tells me something about David because you know, Paul didn't say, hey, give me a couple of guys and let's go look for this guy. He said, get 3,000 of the best that we've got and let's go look for this guy. So why? Because he's got the 30 and we heard about the 30 and he's got the three and we heard about the three. Have you heard about the three? Yeah, 800 people, one battle. So get 3,000 and let's go. 
So Saul came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And so Saul went in to relieve himself. That's the verse that maybe you didn't know was in the Bible. (laughs) David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke about when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to do with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So while Paul, or Saul, sorry, while Saul is going to the bathroom in the cave of the wild goats, David, who's already in the cave, sneaks up close enough to take out a knife and cut off a corner of the king's robe. That's pretty amazing. And so it says, afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men. So you see all kinds of principle in this guy's life, right? All kinds of clarity in his leadership ability. So even here, he did not allow them to attack. Saul left the cave and he went his way. Then David, watch this, says, then David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have been with your, you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, I look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. And so he goes on to explain, you know, I haven't wronged you. I'm not against you. I'm not trying to take you out. And so, you know, he had the opportunity. I had this opportunity as a valiant warrior with that 30 and the three, and we could have ended it right here. We we could have taken you out today, but I know when to fight and I know when not to fight. And today wasn't the day to fight. And now I'm thinking, man, if I can learn that as a man, when to fight and when not to fight, you know, hello. Because Dion and I, used to um, lead service trips uh, to the reservations when we were here, uh, when we were youth pastors here. And I'm just going to be honest, there's, there's one story, um, not a story, but a true-to-life event <laughs> that happened there that I don't like to relive, but because it highlights some of the awful things in me. Um, but it's good to relive because it highlights some of the awful things in me, <laughs> right? And, and so there was one night after a long day of working in doing the work, you know, doing the physical stuff, we were tired, we were hot, we were sweaty, that we came back to the host church and um, our guys were tired. I had the guys downstairs, the, the ladies were upstairs, Deanna was upstairs with the ladies and some volunteers up there, I was downstairs. So I am, I am, I am just dead tired, you know what that's like. You're, you are dead tired. stinky, sweaty, I'm just ready to sleep so I can, you know, tackle the next day. And so we get down, and for those of you, we've talked about this a little bit before, right? You know, OCD, let's do things right, let's let's get everything in order, and let's get it done, right? (laughs) Okay? And so we have have a a posted schedule, right? Lights out, this time. When when that time comes, what, what happens? Lights go out, it's quiet, right? Okay. 
So lights are out, guys are uh, all in the beds, we, we are doing things right. <laughs> so all of a sudden we hear this noise come from upstairs and it was singing. There was singing coming from upstairs. And, and one of the boys, I, I might have been able to handle this, but one of the boys said to me, are you gonna do something about that? <laughs> And then there's this righteous anger, right? <laughs> this righteous indignation that wells up with, yes, of course I'm going to do something about that. <laughs> and so I storm up those steps. And I go up those steps. And I, and, I, and I take no account into what's happening. And I go up there and I find the light switches as fast as I can. And I turn the lights off. And I say something about being quiet. <laughs> and I probably say it loudly, probably with anger in my voice. And I stomp back down the stairs and I go and, and, and I go back and, and do what any man would do and I go hide in my sleeping bag, right? <laughs> and so what do you think happens? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in my sleeping bag and it, and it hasn't been that long. I, I go back down the stairs, climb into my sleeping bag, I move, remove myself from the situation. <laughs> but then I hear a loud stomping noise coming down the stairs. Oh, oh no, this is bad, right? <laughs> and that night, when I could have been resting in bed at the time I was supposed to be, <laughs> because of my foolishness, we were up for probably another hour and a half, maybe two and a half more hours, walking through forgiveness, right? <laughs> you know what they were doing upstairs? They were singing worship songs. They were like, they were, they were like praising God, and I shut that down as their pastor. I went down and just turned off the lights. Stop worshiping, you know. <laughs> and so, so I'm overgeneralizing in a lot of blanket statements today, you know, when I'm talking about men, but but you know that there, there's there's a lot of times when after a big argument we we go to try to find our hiding space, right? At least I'm, I'm just being honest, that's what I try to do. And then we think, when we think it might be safe, you know, we'll poke our heads out and we try to deflect, hey, are you hungry? <laughs> you know, you want me to go get you some, some dinner? <laughs> or, the, or I'll deflect and I'll, I'll pull sugar into it, our dog, hey, sugar, how you doing? You know, just testing the water, see if it's safe to walk back out into the room after I did something that was incredibly dumb, right? <laughs> you know, or I'm gonna walk out there and just say it, I'm sorry about what I did. And so now you, you ladies are probably thinking, well, you know, how hard was that, right? <laughs> and guys, here, here's some wisdom. A, don't mess with the ladies, <laughs> right? They deserve our honor and respect. And we get that. But at the end of the day, ladies saying that we're wrong is really hard for some of us to do. Why? Because we're sinful and we're proud and we're stubborn. <laughs> and we're arrogant and we're fighters. <laughs> we're fighters inside. And so we'll even fight a beautiful woman over some worship songs being lifted up, you know, after hours, a few minutes after curfew. And so to say, I'm sorry about turning off the lights, it's a simple phrase in words, but with it brings this whole freight train of other things along with it. You know, I'm not right about everything, I'm not. I totally wasn't right about it this time. I totally misunderstood what was going on it, and it totally wasn't a big deal and why I made it a big deal must show that there's something going on inside of me, right? Something inside of me that's wrong, that's jacked up because why did I blow my top over that? 
there must be something in here that ain't wired right. That's why I'm asking you ladies, don't amen, <laughs> don't elbow. <laughs> and I think, I think that we have to know when and where to fight. I believe everybody, every guy is going to fight, but I, but I think to have the epitaph, you know, a man after God's own heart, you have to know when to fight and, so, and when not to fight. And so I'm not talking about the service trip incident for me and the little things with our family or our spouse or our coworkers, our friends. Some of us men in the place today are still fighting with issues with our, that we, we had even with our dad. And so to this day, you're like, well, that sounds nice, but you know, my dad moved away 17 years ago and I haven't spoken to him since, so that's not true. Well, no, it, it actually, absolutely, it could be true because you were, fight, you were fighting against him when you woke up today because you've got something stuck between you and him that maybe is still there and you're stuck on the thing that is stuck between you and him and you don't even need him in the room. You don't even need him on the planet, Earth to fight him against it. It's just, it's, it's something that's, that's still stuck there. So, so today, some of you are fighting against something that went wrong, a past disappointment or a wrong decision that was made, some way the, the cards were dealt, some way the circumstances played out, and guys were still fighting against that. You know, even to this day, they didn't treat me right. You know, they, they didn't give me my fair shake. It didn't go down the way it was supposed to. I didn't ask for that. And so we're still fighting against that even today and we're using what God has put in us, which you know, we're hopefully gonna redeem today in the next few moments, but we use it as a way to ensure that we could move towards the ultimate win. You know, being a man after God's own heart, we're, but we're using all that energy and all that will to fight against things that we really can't resolve. And so to fight for things that ultimately we know are not gonna satisfy us in the end. You know, having your name on the building or closing out the, the, you know, the competition or being the first or the best or the most powerful, that doesn't satisfy a heart that was made for God. And so how can we be men who could have it said about us, you know, I'll tell you about Tom. He's a man after God's own heart. And how could we get to the place in life when we know when to fight? And we know what to fight for. And we use our energy going in the right direction in life. So I think that happens when we move out of isolation and we move out of insulation and we move into relationship with other men for the purpose of achieving an ultimate win. And so when we move out of isolation, which is one of the chief skills of men, and we move into relationship with other men with the intention of gaining the ultimate win, I wanna be a man after God's own heart. And so I know that I can't do this alone, right? At least I know I'm not succeeding in an amazing way alone, right guys? And I need some help to make that a reality in my life. So, we're introducing this idea. It's the beginning of a journey for the men of our house called Fight Club. And Fight Club has this tagline, contending for what matters most. And so Fight Club is not, a, it's not about what we're fighting against. It's what we're fighting for. And if you don't like the word fight, you know, can we, can we call it something else? Can we call it the beloved men of God club? <laughs> can, we, can we call it the spiritual giants club? No. We're calling it Fight Club because this is what the Bible encourages us to do. So Paul, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7, this is his epitaph. He says, at the end of his life, I have, 
Can you see this? I have what? Fought the good fight. This is biblical. This is scriptural. This is God. I've contended for the right things I, in the right way, and I've gained them. I didn't, I didn't just fight fights, but I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. You see it? And so what I would like to do is I would like to invite every man in our house to begin a process in your mind of joining a fight club of three to five other men. They could be uh, your stage of life, that's most likely gonna work. Could be people in your field of work, but not necessarily. It could be people at all different levels of spiritual growth because this isn't a Bible study necessarily or a discipleship group. It's really just a rally point for men. And it's a place where a few times a month, or if you're really bold about it, you know, maybe once a week or every other week, you're meeting with these guys for friendship, for encouragement, and for accountability, and for relationship. Which is the question, you know, that we all want to dodge by isolation. The question, that question is, how are you doing? <laughs> right? And we want to fight in four arenas. So I would love it if all of us men could rally together. And we could gather in little clubs all over the city. And we could meet over breakfast or lunch or whatever is a convenient time. And we could have friendship and we could have encouragement. And ultimately, we can have some relationship and accountability in these four arenas. Number one, I'm, I'm going to fight club, and that means I want to fight for my walk with God. As much as I'm fighting to be an amazing athlete, as much as I'm fighting to be in CrossFit shape, <laughs> as much as I'm fighting to, to move up to be, you know, the next executive vice president, as much as I'm fighting to win the deal, as much as I'm fighting to have the best lawn on the block, <laughs> I'm going to fight for my walk with God. Because this is the most important thing in the world to me. I'm going to fight for my walk with God. Second arena, I will fight for my heart and my character. I will put up the dukes and get in the ring with myself. <laughs> and I will fight for my character and fight for my heart. Number three, certainly, I will fight for my family. I will fight for my wife, not with my wife. <laughs> I will fight for my wife. I will fight for my kids and their kids. I will fight for my father who maybe didn't even fight for me. I will fight for my family. And I will stand and, and take the, 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 you know, the mantle of spiritual growth in my home and not lord it over anybody, but to contend for their well-being in, in every possible way. And fourthly, I want to fight for my brother. So in my fight club, if Harry says, I'm struggling, I'm struggling on these business trips, Everybody on the team right now, they've got a different set of values and a different agenda for their after work activities than I do. And so it's a struggle for me. And it has been a struggle in a few areas in my life. And I didn't do so great on the trip to LA, but I really want to do a lot better on the one to Denver that's coming up. And so somebody else in the fight club, Steven, gets up and says, I'm going to fight for you, bro. I'm going to fight for you. And, and if I have a day off, I might even come on the trip with you. <laughs> and that might not be worth it, but I'm definitely going to be in it with you. I'm going to text you. I'm going to text you on the trip. I'm going to call you 
15 times if that's what you want. And I'm going to get up in your grill <laughs> and I'm going to step up into your world and I'm going to get under the load of what you're fighting against and the temptation that's trying to take you down and I'm going to fight for you. And I'm going to fight for my brother in the neighborhood. I'm going to fight for the poor. I'm going to fight for the disadvantaged. I'm going to fight uh, for those who have no voice. All the, all the, the us's and versus them's that we we're talking about last week. I'm going to fight for those who don't have justice in their lives. You know, I'm, I'm going to fight honorably for everyone in this world who cannot fight. And I'm going to be a man who fights for his brother. So that's going to imply sisters and families and nations and brothers. We're not going to live a self-focused life. And so... I'm not going to live a self-serving life. I'm not going to stack up what I think I need and isolate and insulate myself and protect myself from whatever I don't want to feel or what emotion I don't want to get in touch with and just try to keep my eyes on whatever prize I thought was going to satisfy my heart. I'm going to be a man for the entire world and a man for the ages and I'm, I'm going to leave a legacy for all the people on the planet Earth. And I'm going to care about the people that God cares about. I want to fight for my brother. So I don't know what your win is. But I, I do, I think I'm pretty clear on what the enemy's win is. The enemy's win is to make you fail in every one of those four areas. To blow up your walk with God or cause you never even to have one, right? To blow up your heart and your character to blow up your family and to cause you to not lift up your brother, but to absolutely just trample on him for your own good. And he's gonna be on a devoted and a dedicated mission to wipe you out in every one of those four areas. And he's fighting against you right now to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his mission, right? And so we, guys, I'm saying, we weren't wired to do this thing alone. We need a fight club. And you, we need some people we need some brothers around here who know the real you and the honest you. Not church answers, but the real answers. Not, not, the, not here's the part of what I'm struggling with, but here's all you know, of what I'm struggling with. You know, here's how I'm doing with my, my walk with God, guys, right now. It's kind of terrible right now. Just telling you, horrible. You know, I... I don't, I don't make time. I, I don't even know why. I haven't, I haven't been in the Word for so long and I don't even remember when. I haven't been on my knees in prayer this week. So, so guys, you've got to hold me accountable. And you've got to get up in my world. <laughs> you've, you've got to get in my grill and you've got to get up close to me because I want to walk with God. And it's inviting that into your life. And so we need a fight club. And if you don't think you do, then that's the first sign that you do. <laughs> now, I, I know we've broken the number one rule of Fight Club today, which is by talking about Fight Club. And that's because I believe it's important that we talk about Fight Club. And we broke the number two rule of Fight Club, which is don't talk about Fight Club. But we are talking about it. And we've got to step into it. And I'm inviting you, and you're going to hear more over the next uh, few weeks as we do this about how Fight Club works where it's not going to be a legalistic thing. Don't worry about that. It's just an invitation to get in relationship with some guys that are on the same path as you. And so when I first heard about this from some other churches that were doing in this in our district, Fight Clubs, our hope, you know, is that they would just kind of 
populate around the city. You know, the idea was born from, you know, Pastor Louis Hart in Atlanta, Georgia. And this, this, the beauty of the fight club, I think, is that you could be in a flight club with some, some guys at work who don't go to Destiny Foursquare Church. You know, because don't they want to fight for their walk with God? And, and don't they want to fight for their heart? And don't they want to fight for their family? You know, and don't they want to fight for their brothers? So, so they could go to the church down the street or maybe not even go to church right now and still be in the fight club with you. That's the beauty of it. You know, so this is already happening. Fight clubs are, are, are populating all over the place. This, this idea is just kind of exploding um, in cities and, and hundreds, so hundreds and maybe thousands of, of guys are already kind of jumping in on this journey. I love that. So then we get together where, you know, maybe all the men in fight clubs go away for the weekend, like we're getting ready to do. Da -da -da -da. <laughs> We've got men's retreat coming up the first weekend in October. And, and so, you know, we can rally around, you know, these four ideas. You know, I want to walk with God. I want to be a man of character and I'm going to love my family and I'm going to love my brother. You know, and this is, this is a road that we can go down together. But what it requires of me today, just let's, let's get back to today. It just requires that you get your heart around the idea that you have a heart and that's what God's after. <laughs> God is after your heart. And he wants you to just peel back this, these layers, of, guys are really good at it, of isolation, I am really good at it, <laughs> of isolation and insulation. Until you know that you're a son of God and you have a perfect father. And he wants to peel back the calluses that, you know, maybe that we've allowed to build up and all the layers that you've put between you and the, and the things that you don't want to think about or feel with or deal with or talk about or be vulnerable. So you can put your stuff away, Brent, you can come on up. But I'm telling you, what I'm telling you as a man to the men is we've got some feelings deep down inside of us. <laughs> and we've got hurts deep down inside of us. And we've got anguish deep down inside of us. And we've got disappointment deep down inside. And we've got a loss that's deep down inside of us. And sometimes maybe even a lot of anger that's deep down. And we can, until we can peel back the layers. And sometimes there's a lot of them, like an onion. And let God touch our heart. We're never gonna be a man after his. Because it's not about coming to God strength to strength, it's coming to God heart to heart. And I love how, I love how when David comes out of the cave and he called out to Saul, when Saul turned around, you remember what David did? The scripture says he knelt down. It actually says he went face down on the ground in front of the king and he bent his knees and he humbled his heart and he puts himself in a vulnerable position. And he recognizes that, you know, this is his strength. What, what is he saying? God is gonna vindicate me. I could have taken you out in the cave. delivered you into my hands but I'm going to leave this to God God fights for me and he's my strength so yes 
I'm going to stand and I'm going to lead. And he did. Yes, I will stay in him, become the king. And he did. Yes, I will stand and fight. And he did. Yes, I will stand and lead the people of God in worship. And he did. But you are my strength. Amen. Let's stand. Amen. Father God, we just humbly come before you today. God, and we ask that um, the men of our house, Lord, would, would be able to come to a place where we can humble ourselves and say, you're the one that fights for us, God. And instead of that innate, natural thing that's in us, Lord, to, to fight for things that don't last, Lord. I, I pray that you'd put, put it in us, Lord, to fight for the things, to contend for the things that matter the most. For our relationship with you, God. For our character, for our integrity, for our heart. God, for our families and for our brother. God, stir it up in us. And God, I pray, Lord, where it can be our natural thing to separate ourselves and to isolate ourselves. Lord, I pray that this would, that there would be, this would be a time of relationship because there's strength in that. Not in some kind of legalistic or we have to do this type of way, but in a way that really builds up and encourages and equips our mind. God, I pray for that. God, we want that. If that's you this morning, man, would you, would you just say just to yourself quietly, that's what I want. I want that. I want to fight for those things. And you're here this morning. Maybe you're here. And you walked into this space and this conversation this morning and, and um, relationship with Jesus. We want to invite you into that relationship this morning. There is somebody that will fight for you, and he is forever faithful yesterday, today, and forever. He's a faithful friend. And so if you haven't made that decision yet, and you say, Pastor Sean, I know there's something that's going on in my spirit this morning. I need to say yes to that. With nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand um, so we can see and we can pray with you and agree with you today? Is there anybody? church you guys ready to fight for the things that matter most contend for the things that matter most amen let's go out and do it we're going to send ones this morning amen amen and amen thank you so much for being here we love you guys be sure to check out see the voice at the back of the room before you head out stop in and say hey to Brantiana and um, if you have any other prayer needs we have a ministry team up here that's going to be available to pray with you and they would love to do that go out there and give them amen amen, amen.